Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sherrill. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. Well, let's get into Ephesians chapter 3. We've been into the book of Ephesians now for a couple weeks in our series called Intentional. And as we have dug into the book of Ephesians, um, we've seen a lot already come out of this letter to the church at Ephesus. Um, and being that the letter was almost for sure likely spread all throughout that region to all the different churches, it's almost as if we could even say, hey, for today, for even right now, right here in Spring, Texas at Declaration Church, this letter is incredibly applicable for us, for us. And so we've seen things like um, just the intentionality of God towards us through Jesus, but also in Jesus. In fact, I don't know where Pastor Matt is, but he and I were having a conversation just yesterday, and he just said, you know, these first three chapters are really, they just hone in on this in Jesus, just the, this position in Christ. And that's so true. As, as we talked about that, I, I thought of how many times has Paul said, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, to give us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Um, this intentionality of purpose in Christ, intentionality of the love and the kindness of God through Christ, intentionality of mercy and of um, just giving us this position of priority. Do you remember that? We'll even talk about that a little bit more in a minute. This I, intentionality in the identity that you have in Christ once you come to know him, once you submit your life and say, you're the, you know, I want you to be the Lord of my life. He gives you a whole new identity. And in that identity, your purpose is found. We saw last week the fact that in Christ, the wall of hostility was taken away. The wall of separation was gone. I remember as a student at youth camp when I was, uh, I don't know, 16, 17, we would sing this song. We break dividing walls. In the name of your son, we break dividing walls. Same premise. But when Christ died on the cross, the veil was torn. That wall of hostility was gone. Now Jew and Gentile both had equal footing. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. So no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter your upbringing, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your social status, your economic, your, uh, econ- economic status, I'm going to get there, your academic status, man, I should have not put those together, um, your educational background, your pedigree, no matter if you're Jew or Gentile, Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, American or other, no matter what, in Christ, we're all equal. We're all equal when it comes to Jesus. Where we get in trouble is when we try to act like someone's not. And we all have the same access to God in Jesus. These are some of the things that we really unpacked last week. There's no second class. There's no exclusivity. There's no elite. There's only equal, equally belonging to him. And that's such a beautiful thing. It's such a powerful, magnificent thing. He made a way for both the Jew and the Gentile. He made a way for both the religious and even the rebellious. In fact, he hung out a lot with the rebellious. So much so that the religious religious would kind of look down their nose a lot. We saw that God is a God of intentional unity. And that in Christ, we are the dwelling place of God. So someone in the room, please, someone be encouraged today. I mean, in fact, we should be so encouraged. I just want you to give the Lord a hand. I want you to give him praise. I want you to thank him. Come on, just like as loud as you can. This is Declaration Church. Tell him that he's good. Tell him that he's good. Because here's the truth. I don't know about you, but I felt I have felt deeply that I don't belong in places before. Have you ever felt like you just don't fit? 
I mean, some of you have heard part of my story. For 21 years, I lived out of such rejection. I had the opportunity to sit with a family not long ago and just caution them, hey, listen, don't miss the renewal of Jesus because of your rejection. We're so quick to live out of that rejection. So if you have ever felt like you've never measured up, if you have ever felt like you, you never truly fit or, or you can't find that place to really belong, listen, in Christ, he is so intentional about unity. He is inclusive of you. He loves you so passionately. It's those, those lies of the enemy that, that we get tripped up on, those things that we choose to believe that, that, you know, we don't belong, we don't fit, we don't measure up, we're not good enough. These are all tactics of the enemy. They're all tactics. But the truth of the matter is this. You are God's idea. You were created by God, through God, for God. That's Colossians 1. You were created for good works as the masterpiece of God. Scripture says you are the workmanship of God. And Jesus made a way for you. He made a way. And our God is so intentional in his invitation to each and every one of us. Why? Because God so loved what? The world. God so loved the world. Say it loud. God so loved the what? The world. The world. So we pick up in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm just going to start going down some of these things. Today's going to be a little bit more academic potentially than, than uh, storytelling. So just go with me. So it starts in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, for what reason? Look back at it. Remember Ephesians 2, looking somewhere around 17 through the end there. I'll just kind of give you a summary. Um, Jesus brought good news to those near and far. Um, we all have access to God through the Spirit because of Jesus. Uh, no longer are we strangers or foreigners. We're citizens. We're part of the family. These are all the things that it says in the, in the back end of Ephesians 2. We are intentionally and carefully joined in him. We all have equal access to God now. So that's what Ephesians 2 wraps up. And then Paul kicks back and he says, so for this reason, because of these things, I, Paul, and he says, a prisoner of Christ. I love that phrase. I kind of honed in on it a little bit. I love how he starts by saying, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Notice he could have said, I'm a prisoner of Rome but he did not he said I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ so by day I am free to kind of walk around in this house still under surveillance of the Roman guard but by night I'm chained to this Roman guard so I won't escape before I go before Caesar but his perspective was not I'm a prisoner of Rome his perspective was I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ and I love that that's the way he begins verse 1 of chapter 3 we need the perspective of Paul amen we need that kind of perspective where we don't see ourselves chained to our circumstance but more so we see ourselves chained to that of Christ Jesus, that's where we are. That's where we are found. That's where life is. He goes on to say, on behalf of you Gentiles. So he clarifies here, for the Gentiles, for this very reason is why Paul was under this house arrest, because he had these missionary efforts going into the Gentiles, and so they, they arrest him. So verse 2 comes along. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, the New King James says it like this, the dispensation of the grace of God. The dispensation of a grace of God. What a, what a privilege, what a great privilege, what a glorious responsibility that Paul has of delivering this message, this news. 
Stewardship or dispensation of grace. You know what this means? The stewardship or dispensation means the implemented strategy. Say that, implemented strategy. Say it five times fast. I'm just playing, don't do that. Right? But it's the intentional strategy of God. It's, the, it's, it's intended. It is the intentional strategy this dispensation, this stewardship of the riches of God paid for by Jesus Christ. God had a strategy for grace the whole time. And your God is intentional in his strategy for grace. Verse three says this, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed in his, to his holy apostles, prophets by the spirit. So God had in mind this vehicle for his plan and purpose to be fulfilled. He had it in mind the whole time. And, and Paul says that it came by revelation. Understand this, God chose Paul. Paul is not making this up. This is not Paul's opinion. This is not Paul's desire or his agenda. It's God's through Paul. This is God's message that he said, Paul, I want you to deliver this mail. Too many times, unlike what we see here in Paul, too many times we come to the church with our agenda and with our opinion and with our idea. And it might be a good idea, but the question is, is it a God idea, right? But Paul says, this is by revelation. It's not mine. This came from God. This came from God. He insists only to be a messenger of truth, not to deliver the opinion, desire, or agenda. Just the message of Christ, just the mystery was not revealed to the past generations, but through the apostles and prophets now. And Paul is here to deliver this news, this good news. Look at verse six. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, through the message, through the good news. The mystery is described for the Gentiles as being fellow heirs. You're fellow heirs. You are partakers in the promise and you are of the same body. And through the gospel, it's not just for the Jews anymore, but through the gospel, it's for all men and you all have equal standing with Jesus. In verse 7, he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. I love this. This is what I felt like the Lord was saying. Our God is intentional in his invitation to new identity. You need to hear that this morning. You need to hear that. Listen, church, your God is very intentional in his invite to you today to new identity. Some of you may already be living in that. Some of you may know exactly what it is that God has been saying and doing in your world. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, well, what are you passionate about? I don't want to make it too simple, but sometimes it is that simple. You find the most joy in this thing, and guess what? That is exactly what God wired you to do to use you for maximum kingdom impact. That's it. He is intentional in his invitation to new identity. That's partly of what this whole thing is about, this next steps that we launched this morning. And if you haven't plugged into that, you can sign up even today for next week or the next week. We'll do it every month, the first three weeks of the month. We want you to, first of all, know that you know God because you're already known by him. We want you to begin to find freedom. That's gonna be the front door. I believe life groups, when we get those going in the summer, that's gonna help. But we really want you to discover your purpose so that you can make that eternal impact that God has created you and wired you to make. He is intentional in his invitation to new identity. Look back at verse seven. And Paul is living into this identity. He says, of the gospel, 
I was made a minister based on God's grace. Minister. This is a title of service. In, in Greek literature, the minister would be the equivalent of a table servant. So that's what Paul is saying. This is my identity. At one time, remember Saul, right pedigree, right education, had it all going for him, probably pretty wealthy. And now it's like, these things don't matter in comparison to this. Talk about a total turnaround. And he's saying, this is my identity. I'm a minister of the gospel. I am coming and bringing the best news possible to you Gentiles. This is it. And he goes on to say, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, that line right there stuck out. In fact, I've got it bolded in my notes. I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Notice, even Paul, even Paul, so you're in good company, even Paul has to deal with overcoming his past in order to walk in God's present purpose for his life. Even Paul. He says, I'm the very least of all saints. I don't know if you're like me, but man, that resonated with me big time. I love that I'm reading the, the, the words of Paul who I, I hold in high esteem. And I love the fact that I see his humanity and saying, man, I'm the very least of all the saints. I know where I came from. I know what I was a part of. I know what I did. Man, that resonated. Paul says, I'm, look at me. Who, who, I'm, I'm less, than the le- less than the least of all the saints. He recognized who he was called to be, but he also had a deep knowledge of what he had been saved from. He was very aware of his past. He was obviously always mindful of what he had done and who he was in the past. This doesn't mean that he lived in shame and guilt. Not at all. Contrary. He lived in surrender and grace, not shamed and guilt. He had a purpose. But look at his posture. Humble. He was thankful. He was assured. He marveled at the grace of God. He even says, I am chosen to do this, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. What a privilege. It's like, I don't know about you, man, but since we had the opportunity to, to launch Declaration Church, every day I wake up, literally, I'm not kidding you, every day and I wake up and I think, we get to do this? This is awesome. We get to do this? And, and now 11 weeks in, I, I look around at our dream team and I'm like, they're, okay, they're still setting up chairs. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> and every week I got to remind, we get to do, yes, we get to do this because I recognize every chair represents a person. And that person, when they come to know Jesus, it changes everything, not just for their life, but for the lives of their family forever. I mean, we're in the business, everybody. We're in the business of seeing the eternal destiny completely change for lines of family from here on out. We get to do this. We get to set up a chair. We get to roll in a crate early in the morning when birds aren't even singing and Jesus is still awake. I mean, asleep. I'm sorry. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't sleep. I said that once. I was like, dude, God's not even awake. And some guy looked at me and said, how dare you? Like, dude, calm down, bro. I'm just kidding. All right. (laughs) Calm down. But we do. We get to do this. And that is exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, man, I, I get to do this. He marveled at the grace of God. I was chosen to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Think about it. I know, I know I'm off script. Just go with me for a second. I don't know if you do this. 
And I, when I was in college, I was way better at this. And then I, I went into a season of what I call my slump, right? For a long time when I chose to live more feeling like a victim than in victory and, and all that good stuff. But in college, not good stuff, but in college, I, every day I would drive to campus and I would say, God, show me people the way you see them. Let me see people the way you see them. And it wasn't long until I didn't want to spend as much time in the Baptist Student Center and the Methodist Student Center and Chi Alpha because I was popping around to all of them, leading worship and having a great time. I would spend more time in the speech communications department. Why? Because God began to give me a burden for the people and the way he saw them. And they became really my friends, not my field. There's a difference. A lot of times we like to approach these people like they're the mission field, and they are. But you know what Jesus did? He didn't look at them like the field. He looked at them like friends because he had a heart that broke for where they were. He had a heart that broke for the things that were breaking theirs. And so then I went through my season of slump where it was not good news. You know, I just operated as a robot just trying to get through the days. It was that stuff where I was living out of my rejection and my wounds. And every now and then I would rise to the occasion. I'd have these moments where I knew God had called us to these things and it was awesome and I loved it. And then I would sit back down into the slump. And I can tell you, at the ripe old age of 40, when all of a sudden I began to see this become a reality and then turn 41, and then all of a sudden we launch it, every day is a day that I wake up and I'm so alive, electric, and amazed because we get to do this. We have the privilege as we go in the life and the sphere of influence we have, we have the privilege to declare the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting world. That's why I see when Paul says these things, man, it just resonates deep in my core. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where I've been or what I've done, God wants to use us collectively to declare the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he is intentional about using us in spite of ourselves. Amen? (laughs) Some wives are like, yeah, you hear it, you know, poking your husband. Again, funnier in my head. Are you guys awake with me today? (laughs) We're going to have to take a braze break. Pastor Matt's going to run the room. I'm just playing. All right. (laughs) Yes. All right. um, You know, I I was thinking about it. There is nothing more powerful in a life than that Ephesians 4 moment, that two-word moment, that but God, Right? There's nothing more powerful in a life. You you could look at Saul on the road to Damascus, but God, and now look. You know? How many of us have had that Damascus encounter, that glory encounter where we collide with the love and the glory of Jesus, and we're never the same? We can't help it. It's that Isaiah 6, I am ruined moment. I'm ruined. I'm wrecked. Me is over. And God is intentional about using us in spite of ourselves. God wants, okay, hold on, buckle up. Because when this one came out, I was not trying to make a statement. But listen, God wants to use us in restoring culture to Jesus, not to boycott them in Jesus' name. That doesn't make me loose and liberal. It makes me hopefully, prayerfully, and humbly be loving. There is a way to love people in their brokenness and not condone it. But there is also a way to turn people off very quickly from the invitation to the unsearchable riches of Jesus. And can I just say this? While we utilize, not very well, while we utilize social networking to really say, hey, we have something to tell you, social networking has been the worst thing to happen to the church in a long time. 
So can I just, as a pastor, as your pastor, I'm going to step out on that limb and just say, as your pastor, can I just implore you, be cautious of who you are on the social world. Be cautious of the things that you say and do. It's not just your reputation. And it's not ours. It's Jesus. It's his reputation. That's what's at stake. I got real quiet. Okay, let's get happy again, all right? <laughs> so we, like Paul, we have the privilege and the calling to preach and to proclaim and to declare and to announce this good news, this unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light the plan, the purpose, the greatness, and the glory of God. Look at verse 8. It says that very thing. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To bring to light this mystery, these unsearchable riches. Let's keep going. Verse 10. So that through the church. Okay, here's where it's going to get gooder. You ready? Buckle up. I know grammar people are in here going, I can't believe that. He's our pastor. He's fired. He doesn't even know how to put a sentence together. Shame on him. I'm so embarrassed. I'm leaving. Okay, calm down. Here we go. So that through the church, somebody say through the church. Oh, say it like you mean it. Through the church. That's you. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. What does this mean? You ready for this? I want you to hear this. Our God is intentional about making himself known. Never forget it. He will make himself known. Listen. He is so intentional in his plan. He wants to use us in making him known. Not just to men. Watch it. This, is, this blew my mind. He doesn't want just to use us to make him known to men, but to the spiritual realms. Look at verse 10 again. That by the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. What is this saying? I ask myself four questions a lot through life. Here they are. Do you believe in the spiritual realm? I don't know about you, man. I was raised on flannel board Jesus. We didn't talk about the spiritual realm much, right? Like we were, we were like, and look, here's Noah. And look, here's the lamb. And here's the ghost. And here's the devil. <laughs> we didn't do that, right? It wasn't on the flannel board, right? We didn't talk about that stuff. <laughs> do you believe in the spirit? <laughs> Nicole, man. <laughs> do you believe in the spiritual realm? Do you believe? What do you believe about angels, right? What do you believe about? I mean, is the devil really in red spandex and a pitchfork? Really? I mean, is it like, do y'all remember, who, who did Tom and Jerry? Come on, Tom and Jerry. Who was with me? Come on now. I still, man, I would rock Tom and Jerry hardcore if they were still on in my house, dude. I love Tom and Jerry. But there was always that episode where, bing, little angel Jerry pops up, right? And then all of a sudden, bing, little devil Jerry, you know? Like, what's that about? What do you believe about these things? Do you believe in demons? Do you believe in spiritual warfare? Truly. What do you think about it? I was reading this commentary. If I can say his name right, I'll probably hack it. David Guzik, I believe, is his name. And this is what he had to say about some of these verses, especially this, this through the church, he would make known the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and the heavenly realms. He says this, of course, God also wants to reveal this wisdom to the church. Yet in the big picture, God doesn't use the angels to reveal his wisdom to the saints, but he does use the saints to reveal his wisdom to the angelic beings. Both faithful and fallen. 
This reminds us that we are called for something far greater than our own individual salvation and sanctification. We are called to be the means by which God teaches the universe, all creation, a very beautiful lesson about who he is. Here's truth. It says, at all times, we are surrounded by invisible spiritual beings, and they intently look upon us. These angelic beings see us perfectly and know us far better than we know them. Okay? I could... Let's keep going. So what would they have to learn from us? That was the question I had. They have to learn something which makes them watch us with wonder and with awe. They see in us all of our weakness and all of our sin, but they see a nature which, wrecked by itself, Genesis 3, was yet made in the image of their God. And they see this God at work upon that very wreck to produce results both beautiful and wonderful. In speaking of angelic or angelic beings, Mool said, in his immortality, never touched by one drop of our cold river, the angelic beings. It is instructive to him beyond all of our thought to see his God triumphing over pain and death in some sufferer in the fire of martyrdom or in the torture of cancer or in the shipwreck or just in the silent awe of any form of our departure from the body. They see these fallen and mortal beings, this community of the lost and the saved, not only bearing and doing for God here on earth, but spiritually present with him in the holy of holies above. We have something to declare, not only to men, but to angels. It's huge. And sometimes we as Christians, we get this crazy idea that that God saved us and and works in our life because um, we're somewhat such great people. (laughs) You know, like, we have really, we have a whole lot to offer you, God. (laughs) But the angels see right through it. And we might believe that it's because of us, the angels know better. We may think our lives are small and insignificant, but the angels, they know better. We may doubt our high standing seated in heavenly places, but the angels, they know better. And they see the spiritual realities with eyes wide open. John Stott said it this way. It is as if a great drama is being enacted. History is the theater and the world is the stage. And the church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play and he directs and produces the play act by act and scene by scene the story continues to unfold but who are the audience they are the cosmic intelligences the principalities and powers in the heavenly places so when verse 10 says this manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places this means that angelic beings are indeed deeply interested and they are instructed by our lives Those of us following Jesus, that is. This is why the conduct of the church is so deeply important because not only is a watching world waiting desperately for absolute truth and authentic love, but the angelic and demonic beings are looking on and God's intent is to teach them through us. I don't know about you, but man, that blew my mind. That blew my mind. If you didn't think you had purpose, (laughs) if you didn't think that your life was intentional, come on. Before the foundation of anything created, the uncreated had a plan for you. 
And for those of us who are constantly being surrounded by all of these voices trying to tell us this and tell us that, they know we need to silence created voices and beg to only hear from the uncreated because he has intentional plan for your life. According to this intended intentional purpose, it says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's so much to be said about your identity in Christ. And shame on us for dumbing this down to simply the proximity of where we're going to spend eternity, right? Shame on us. While that is important, there's something greater at play. There's a bigger story. There's a bigger picture. The invitation to be in Christ is not only about heaven and hell. The invitation to be in Christ is an invitation to life and purpose and destiny. And your destiny is far more important than your destination, God is using you and I, not only as his ministers on mission to make a difference for the kingdom, this side of eternity, he's using us to instruct the spiritual realm, to ascribe the greatness and the goodness of our God, and to show the depth and width of his power, truth, his purpose, and his love. The purpose of your life has far greater impact than you can imagine. Let me just pause there for just a minute. Because if you're like me, you have probably gone through seasons or may even right now be in a season where you are deeply questioning if there's any purpose at all. What is the point? I've had two conversations in the past three weeks with dear friends of mine who are solid people who love Jesus, who have both expressed this question right here. I don't even know what the point is. I'm, I, don't even, I don't even know if I want to live anymore. Lie of the enemy. The purpose of your life has far greater impact than you can imagine. And according to this text, your purpose has eternal impact in the spiritual realm. I mean, look at 1 Peter. Um, I think we have, do we have that? Yes, chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to summarize it. Prophets wanted to know more about the salvation prepared for us, the suffering of Christ and the great glory that was to come, but they were only speaking what God was showing them at the time. How would it play out? Who would it affect? They knew it would not happen in their lifetime, but yet they still prophesied what God showed them. And Scripture says right here in 1 Peter, it says that it is all so wonderful, even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. In the Gospels, The book of Luke, chapter 9 and chapter 10. In chapter 9, you see the apostles. Jesus sends them out and has authority. He says, I'm going to give you authority over demons and disease. In 10, he sends out the 72. Two by two, he sends them out. And and they go out, and they begin to do the ministry that they were told to do. And they come back, and they're like, Jesus, it's crazy. Even the demons would do what we told them to do. And Jesus says, be careful. Be glad that your name is written in the book of life, not that you have this authority and this power. That's what he says. And listen, God uses us. God uses our lives to instruct and to have impact even on the spiritual realm. So what now? How does this apply to us? Well, we get to rejoice in the fact that we are known by God and that we know God. We rejoice in that. God is intentional about making himself known and is he intentional about using us in making him known. So Christian believer, follower of Christ, walking in his name, by his power, for his glory, This is to use your life to declare the glorious message of the love 
and life to this world and to teach the heavenly realms the wisdom of God. You have such intentional purpose. For some of you, it's enough that you're just a mom. And that is a, that, that there's so much gravity and weight to that calling. But even beyond the years that you get to shape and mold these blessings of children that God has given you, the heavenly realms are also being instructed by you. Dad, you work nine to five, doing the next cog, doing the thing that you do, and, and sometimes you find yourself going, man, that's just so habitual, I don't even remember doing it that day. But listen, there is so much intentional purpose, not in the sphere of influence you have right there at your job, but also in the heavenly realms. I, I know I'm hammering this. This is huge. If the church realized the potential, the fullest potential of what is really happening and what God is doing in and through them, they would look and act and be different. They would be different. And get, let me say this. You have nothing to fear when it comes to the spiritual realm. We've allowed Hollywood and, and religious TV to shape our worldview on the spiritual realm. Can I say this? The point is not the power of God through you. The point is the person of Christ in you. That's the point. Just like last week we saw in Ephesians 2, verse 6, you have a position of priority in the heavenly realms. The point is not the power of God through you. It's the, it's the person of Christ in you and what he's doing, the purpose he's called you to. And, Bella, and the angelic beings wish they had what you have. The enemy and his minions, they wish they had what you have. Why do you think that the enemy works so hard in the area of your identity to destroy you? Because if you understand the intended purpose and destiny of God for your life, the advancement of his kingdom becomes unstoppable. All of this according to the intentional eternal purpose of God realized in Jesus Christ. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. New Living says it like this, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. What does that mean for us? That we now in turn need to be intentional in this invitation to new identity. Believe it, walk in it, be bold, take courage. That's what scripture says. Paul says in 13, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. And he goes on, don't worry about me. This is for your glory. But the, the point I want you to see is he's saying, do not lose heart, be encouraged. There's far bigger purpose for you than this. He says, I'm doing this for you. Your glory depends on it. I'm good. Don't think about me. You don't lose heart. God's plan and purpose and destiny for you is far bigger than this life. It has impact on eternity in the heavenly realms. He goes on to say in 14 and 15, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It's here that Paul begins praying. He takes this position of great humility and bowing in contrast to a normal prayer position of standing with your hands up. And he bows, and I love this humility. He's overwhelmed and humbled when he considers God's great eternal plan. And he's overwhelmed at his place in that plan. Listen, even if you can't see the path sometimes, God still has a plan, and his plans will advance. Maybe some of you can't see the path right now. God is so deeply intentional about us. So what would our response be to God today? Because of the intentionality of God's plan and purpose, because of the intentionality of God's design, because of the direction and destiny for your life, what is your response today? In 13, he says, don't lose heart. So church, don't lose heart. Be encouraged. He goes on. Because of the intentionality of God in our life, our response is 
we worship, we're grateful, we don't lose heart, we find encouragement, even when the enemy is attacking you. Be encouraged. I know it's hard. It's easier said than done. Be encouraged. Even when you're praying for the breakthrough, for the sickness, and the breakthrough is not yet coming, still be encouraged. God is doing something not only in you, in others around you, and also in the heavenly realms. We give our affection and our attention and our allegiance to him because he's worth it, because of his great love and his unsearchable riches, because of his intentionality and kindness towards us. He is so worthy of our worship. Only God above all, the great I am, could do this. Only he could do this. So our response, don't lose heart. Be intentional in looking to him for your strength. Be humble and pray. Be intentional in humility and fervent in prayer. 16, according to the riches of his glory, a most generous measure of glory, that he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and the inner being. We need his power in order to live out this intentional purpose. We need it. We gotta have it to be strengthened. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Listen, church, be intentional to abide, to remain, to rest, to be rooted, to be grounded in Jesus. Find yourself in the identity that Jesus calls you to and and invites you to and and has for you. Your destiny is discovered in your God-given identity. And this is where you're going to understand and truly know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, the breadth and length and height and depth. God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to to last all throughout eternity. It's, It's deep enough to reach the deeply broken in sin, and it's high enough to take us to heaven. And let's finally get to the doxology of chapter three, and look what it says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This doxology does not only belong to the prayer that precedes it that Paul prays, but also to every glorious privilege and blessing spoken of in the first three chapters of this book, of this letter. And who is able, who, who is able to bring these things to pass? Only God can do this. Because it, he can do far beyond our ability to imagine or think or ask. Only the great I am. He's the only one that fills in every blank. This morning, let's do this. Would you just close your eyes? And I want, I want you to just let everything fade away around you and ask it, what is it? What is it that, that you would say, man, this is it. This is what I'm contending for. This is what I'm praying about God. If it's true, then all of these things that you say about me, if it's true, then all these things that you say being intentional in identity and purpose, if it's true, then that we have such greater purpose than that that we can even imagine, that, that if, if this passage is true, that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask for or think or imagine, God, this is what I'm asking. This is what I'm asking. Listen, we don't come just for the hand of God and the blessing of God. I pray that we come truly for the face of God, to love him. But you know what? He is a good father. And he is telling you today, church, that he can do far more than the greatest measure of faith you can muster. He is able to 
just blow that away. Do you believe it? He's the great I am. He's the great I am. God, I need healing. I am. That's what he says. God, I need provision. I am. God, I am deeply hurting and I need encouragement. He says, I am. God, I am scared for my child. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know what to think or say or do. He says, I am. I got this. God, I don't feel loved. I am your love. God, I need peace. It is chaotic. I am your peace. God, every time I turn around, I feel like I'm being, I'm being hammered by somebody. They're, they're, they're trashing my name and reputation. I am your justice. God, I just want justice. I want that person to pay. I, I, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You stand still and watch and wait. I am on this. I got this. God, I need a job. I'm already there. I know where I'm going to put you. Father, I've been desperately praying for a child. I see you. I'm in this. Wait and watch with me. Wait and watch with me. I have a plan. It may not look like what you want or think, but it's going to fulfill you. It's joyful. He's the great I am this morning, church. What do you need? I pray today you are so deeply encouraged. I pray today you feel so deeply loved by him. I pray that you understand the magnitude of his intentional purpose for your life. Or maybe at least you're beginning to understand it. You can ask for every good thing you have ever experienced all over again and God can still do above that. You can think of or imagine things beyond your experience, the the wildest experiences you've had and God can do even above that. You can imagine good things that are beyond your ability to even name and yet God can still do above that. He is the great I am this morning. We come before him, our response. Don't lose heart. Be humble and be fervent in prayer. Come to the great I am this morning. Understand you have a place of priority to him. Understand he is using you far more than you ever can imagine. And understand that he is able to do far more than you can ever think or ask. We respond to him today. And as we sing just a song of of worship and praise to him, as we bow our attention, affection, and allegiance to him. If you need prayer this morning, you're gonna have prayer partners on the sides and in the back of the room, and they'll they'll just be they'll be standing, watching, and waiting. You'll be able to know who they are. They're wearing an orange tag. Go and pray with them. The sides of the back. This morning, if you want to invite Jesus into your life, it's simple. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved, is what scripture says. Ask him. Just ask him. God, I want you, I need you in my life. Would you do us a favor just as a matter of organization? On that connect card, there's a place that you can say, yes, I've invited Christ into my life or I've asked Christ to renew my life. Would you mark that and put it in the give box or take it to the hub so we can reach out to you? What is it that God is doing in your world today? What does he desire? Prayer partners are waiting. They're standing. If you know you need prayer, why don't you look right now and see where they're standing on the sides in the back. And then as soon as we stand up and sing, you make your way.
The altar is open if you want to come pray. But let's worship and let's respond to the great I am this morning. Man, he's so good, is he not? God is so good to you today. No matter what, God is good. And let's respond to that. Let's stand. And just in the spirit of prayer, spirit of worship. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcast.